Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 701 of the podcast and it's Friday the 30th of June 2023 as I record this. Yes, we're halfway through the year. <laughs> it's time to revisit your creative goals and see what you have left to do. Uh, I'm certainly doing that. So four years ago, on the 1st of July 2019, I put out a solo episode on nine ways that artificial intelligence, AI, will disrupt authors and the publishing industry in the next decade. And a lot of my predictions have already happened. So that is episode 437. If you want to go back and listen, it should be somewhere on the feed uh, or you can go to thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast, scroll down to episode 437 and you can listen or download from there. In today's show, four years on, I'm discussing elements of these nine ways with author Nick Thacker. So that's coming up in the interview section. So first up, I just wanted to go through the nine points and read them out and also add to those we don't specifically discuss in the interview. So my nine original points were as follows. And essentially, they were meant to be disrupted over the next decade. So between 2019 and 2029. Number one, nonfiction books, blog posts and news articles will be written by AI. Two, copyright law will be challenged as books are used to train AIs, which then produce work in the voice of established authors. Three, voice synth technology will replace human narrators for mass market audiobook narration. So those first three are all discussed with Nick. And I've also been obviously talking about those particular ones in recent episodes, uh, all linked at thecreativepen.com forward slash future. So those three are coming up. Number four, voice search will disrupt text-based SEO. And if you don't have voice content, you will be invisible. So I wrote... Voice search has the potential to disrupt the existing search engine model that monetizes based on paid ads. The front page of Google is no longer enough when there is only one answer to a question. Now, this is this is very interesting because I got it right. That, that, that thing that I just said, the front page of Google is no longer enough when there is only one answer to a question. That's correct, but I got the modality slightly wrong. So while voice has become more and more ubiquitous and generative AI is about to go multimodal, I think the disruption of paid ads and the disruption of the front page of Google is actually generative search, which I didn't see coming. I didn't expect that the generative text and images and video and everything would disrupt Google search. Uh, and of course, Bing 
uh, Bing chat and all of this stuff that's coming. I'm going to link to the Google article on this, but I am going to plan to do another episode, like a separate episode on generative search as it settles down. It's in massive flux at the moment, but I think generative search has will have huge impact on us as authors because as I've been demoing in my AI um, sessions, we can it, the book discovery with generative search is brilliant so i have a lot of very positive thoughts about how generative search will impact us as authors but it's going to take a whole nother separate episode so in the show notes uh, so you can always go to the creativepen.com forward slash podcast find the episode and uh, go into the show notes. I've linked to Google's generative AI search paper, but this is definitely all coming. It's coming to Amazon. It's in Bing uh, Bing already. So yeah, lots of discussion in various SEO sites. It's disrupting content marketing, but it's also going to disrupt how people find products to buy, including our books. So that is interesting. Five, translation will be performed by AI for books as well as other content. Now we're definitely on the way with this one and remember my original time frame was a decade. So based on my research for that article I used deepl.com d-e-e-p-l.com to do first draft translation for German non-fiction books in November 2019 then hired an editor to work with me to localize them and those books are uh, out they're on uh, you know they've got decent reviews they're selling in Germany and other places uh, so yeah I did that back in November 2019 this is now an established process for many indie authors so using DPL working with editors proofreaders etc as part of the translation process and also many translators are using these tools for first draft translation which they then it's the 80 20 rule if you can get 80 percent done like this and then you use the 20 percent to make it to finesse it basically to do the art other AI translation tools include Google's Translation Hub, which offers 135 languages, and Meta has a model that can translate between 204 languages, even some rare ones. Um, I've also heard from indie authors using ChatGPT to translate text, including emails, newsletters, and some aspects of books, and that will become more possible as the um, the context window size uh, becomes longer. And again, links in the show notes to there. Number six, content will explode exponentially and AI discoverability and marketing tools will help navigate the tsunami. And yes, I discussed that one with Nick because that's certainly coming true. Then number seven, AI augmented creativity will develop and more people will want to be writers. I said in the article, I see the rise of Centaur Publishing, where there will be new forms of writing in collaboration with AI tools. And this is definitely happening already. And I consider myself, I guess now, a Centaur, <laughs> or at least as I've talked about before, an AI-assisted artisan author, an A4. And uh, many writers are doing this. If you join the AI Writing for Authors Facebook group, you will now find over 3,000 authors collaborating to create in new ways and sharing their processes. So uh, links in the show notes or just go to Facebook, AI Writing for Authors. Number eight. Print publishing will shift into a green, sustainable model with AI-assisted micro print on demand. <laughs> I may have been a little overhopeful with this, but we still have time. Uh, this hasn't completely shifted, but there is definitely more of a focus on sustainability for publishing. 
London Book Fair 2023 had lots of talks on sustainability, which I'll link to. And the Society of Authors here in the UK launched Tree to Me, which helps authors talk to their publishers about the environmental cost of books. One speaker at London Book Fair even suggested there might be carbon emission labels on books in the future. Of course, as indie authors, we pretty much only do print on demand or when we do Kickstarters, we're printing a bigger, a bigger bulk of books, which we then sell. So, you know, and we but we do need to be aware of of this type of thing. But yeah, I think things are moving in the right direction. And of course, with AI, the costs are coming down. Um, AI itself is developing better models of energy for energy use. So even with ebooks, audiobooks, everything else, uh, things are going hopefully in the right direction. And then number nine, expansion of mobile reading and micropayments enabled by 5G mobile and blockchain technology, plus 4 billion new people online equals an explosion of reading. So I said, micropayments for pages read through mobile platforms will suit the next generation of readers. And if creatives can use blockchain technology to tag intellectual property through the supply chain, then revenue through these new models could be truly exciting. So, of course, the subscription model, which is essentially micropayments for pages read, uh, you will obviously recognise KU as the most famous one, but there are many, many one, many of them now uh, for ebooks and audiobooks. And that has definitely cannibalised sales of ebook and audiobooks for many of us. And the rise of selling direct for authors is because of these micropayments. So while one thing has kind of happened, the other side, the crypto crash of 2022, impacted the the more speculative side of blockchain, but the technology side has certainly not gone away. And in fact, it's probably more exciting because a lot of the speculators left the market and those people who are actually building useful things on chain uh, have carried on. So I discussed the use of blockchain for IP registration with Roni Levy in July 2022. You can go back and listen to that episode. And the EU Intellectual Property Office has now launched a blockchain for intellectual property. Again, links in the show notes. And the World Intellectual Property Organization, the WIPO, also has a white paper on developing blockchain. So I am still bullish on blockchain and I think it might actually serve as the way to authenticate our data in a world of generative AI. We will be moving into licensing smaller models, licensing data to train more specific models. And I still think this is the way forward. And in my 2020 book about AI, I had a whole framework of how this could happen. And remember, this is a 10-year set of predictions, so I have until 2029 to see if I get the rest of this right. (laughs) I end that article with two recommendations. Embrace the tools, don't fight them. And it's clear that many authors are now starting to do just this. And also double down on being human, which I talk about a lot, I know. Share, show your humanity, be a real human online and in person. Show pictures of yourself, do video or audio, connect, do more personal projects like my Kickstarter for pilgrimage. Because let's face it, no one is going to generate a midlife pilgrimage memoir with AI. They're just not. (laughs) So I'm pretty pleased by how my predictions have stood up so far. Go back to episode 437 if you want to have a listen to the rest of it. Uh, And of course, I'm wrong sometimes. (laughs) Although I I tend to think if I'm wrong, it's just because it hasn't happened yet. (laughs) 
<laughs> but no, of course I'm wrong and you don't have to agree with me. I just thought this would be fun to talk about. Um, so yeah, you can go to the creativepen.com forward slash podcast, go to 437, download and listen from there. And the discussion with Nick on all the other bits and bobs are coming up on the interview section. So into publishing and book marketing news. Well, good news. After six or seven months on hiatus, the USA Today bestseller list is back as reported by USA Today. So they say, our goal remains the same. Provide book lovers with the best, most accurate snapshot of what people are reading by showing which titles are selling. It is a master list, unbound by genre and format, of what's selling broadly across the US. It reflects combined sales of titles in print and electronic format if available. Our data team weighs and compiles those numbers to generate the week's 150 top-selling titles. The rankings reflect sales from the previous Monday through Sunday. The full list will publish online at 6am Wednesdays, with the top 50 titles publishing in print Thursdays. So I've hit the USA Today list twice, once as part of the Deadly Dozen back in 2014, which was a campaign of 12 authors, and it was a a 12 novel and novella box set organised by the fantastic Diane Capri back in the days when that was still allowed in the New York Times list. And uh, indie authors can't really do that anymore. They changed the rules. Um, But then in 2016, I hit the list, the USA Today list myself, with my own box set as a single author with the first three books of my arcane series um i haven't tried since then because once you've kind of done it then um yeah you have to basically organize yourself authors are still doing it if you if you care about it you just need to be super organized with your promo stacking so now it's back up i what i think will happen is people will try and hit it and we will figure out how they are compiling these things because of course they can't have amazon data um unless they've found some way to scrape it um but yeah we will see um and you have to be wide essentially to hit the usa today list and you have to have promotions on loads of different platforms and have sort of promo stacking throughout the whole week so written word media have some new products to help you with which i'll talk about a bit later So it's not clear how they might have changed the rules. Um, They do say our data team weighs and compiles those numbers. So there's obviously some people who will do some curation. Uh, It's certainly not automatically compiled from sales or reads like the Amazon charts. So basically, all these things are games. You can decide to play the game if you want. Uh, Every single bestseller list is a different game. (laughs) And you have to decide whether you're interested in uh, playing that game or not. And then if you do decide to play the game, then you have to find out the rules and do your promotions. And uh, I'll link to the last time I did the USA Today. But like I said, it was 2016. So things have changed a lot. Keep an eye out in the various author forums for how authors might be doing that in the future. The romance authors in particular will probably figure this out quite quickly because they are very good at this. (laughs) 
Also interesting this week is an article in The Verge about TikTok's move into e-commerce. Now, TikTok TikTok Shop is is available right now, but it links through to lots of other providers and lots of other vendors. Uh, They've been at various conferences and now The Verge says they're readying an online shop for US customers. The storefront would live inside the TikTok app under an e-commerce tab. An array of curated items as well as products listed for sale through TikTok shop. Um, its existing in-app shopping feature would be for sale. The new store feature would have TikTok buying its own merchandise like toys, kitchen items and handling logistics and customer service. This is essentially going after Amazon, <laughs> which is fascinating. So going after Amazon in terms of being more like a store with end-to-end fulfillment, delivery, etc., instead of just using third-party integration. So if you are someone who is using TikTok for social media, then what we're seeing here is, well, first of all, selling direct through TikTok shop would seem to be a very good move. Uh, and in fact, this summer, Book Vault will launch its TikTok shop integration um, which they they put out on an email, and that will enable you to sell uh, your book vault titles directly from TikTok. <laughs> but this uh, idea of, I guess, TikTok fulfillment, uh, TikTok e-commerce, will mean that, that they will do the printing and shipping and delivery. So I think that's fascinating. I am far more suddenly far more interested in TikTok. They have gone way beyond just being a social media platform. So yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe I might even look at TikTok in 2024. I don't know. I, uh, I feel like I don't want to use it for many reasons because people say it's super addictive. But the direct sales potential interests me very much. Now, you can integrate it with uh, your Shopify. Shopify has great integration with TikTok and also many of the other platforms integrate with TikTok. So you don't, you certainly don't have to use their e-commerce. But when these companies go after market segments like this, there are often good reasons to try it. So if you are wide, if you control your intellectual property, you can sell your books however you like. And I, f- I think this is fascinating. Um, yeah, also talking of Book Vault, hopefully their US printer will be live this week. So if you order my books from J- uh, I say JF Pen, that's not live yet, creativepenbooks.com after the 5th of July, they should be printed in the USA and shipped a lot faster. So that is coming. Um, yeah, so more indications of the fragmentation of the books ecosystem. And I mean, coming to the, that USA Today list, I mean, I'm driving so much of my sales now through creativepenbooks.com. Thank you very much. You're, you are buying my books every day. Like I, whenever I check my phone, there are more sales. So that, it, that obviously takes my book sales away from stores that can be more easily measured. So um, from the other places and no one gets to see my reports on uh, Shopify, but I don't care (laughs) because I get to get the money and the data. So happy times. But again, it's all about the games you choose to play and you have to decide what game you want to play. Impersonal news. Catacomb, my standalone horror. It is a novella, actually. It's about 32,000 it came out at. There's something like that, 34,000. But uh, that is with my editor, Kristen. And I have dug out the shadow book. That is next. Uh, I'm just assessing where it is. I've essentially been writing it on and off for 
I don't know, a decade. <laughs> and I have been thinking about it since I studied Jungian psychology at university back in the 90s. Uh, so I have thought about the shadow for all this time, for, I don't know, 30 years, I've been thinking about this stuff. So I, I feel like it is a um, it is a deeply important book to me to get right. And so I keep approaching it and then uh, ducking away because I am scared. And But there is 30,000 words of this book already, but it is seriously all over the place. It is chaotic mess. And uh, what I'm planning on doing is starting to get to grips with it again and figure out what I want it to be, where it's going to go. And I am planning on doing a shadow survey to my email list and I'll mention it here as well sometime in the next few weeks. I need to go through the books and then the book um, and then figure out what I want to ask you in order to make it the best book to help you. Um, there's going to be a, a kind of two elements to it. One will be all the aspects of shadow, uh, some obvious ones being death and um, sex and uh, shame and all of these different things. And then, and also things like art and folklore and books and uh, lots of lots and lots of things. Religion, very interested in the shadow of religion. Uh, lots and lots of stuff. And then the second half will be how to essentially channel it into your writing to bring depth to your writing. Uh, so yeah, I'm very excited about it. So watch out for the shadow survey coming soon. And if you're not on my email list, then you need to sign up for my blueprint, the creativepen.com forward slash blueprint. And uh, that means you'll be on the list. So I'm also finishing up my new Shopify store, which will be jfpenbooks.com. Um, the reason I'm doing this is because there's so much integration now with AI marketing uh, that it just helps the algorithms to separate the types of audiences who are interested in my fiction and my nonfiction. I knew this uh, when I built Creative Pen Books, but I couldn't, at the time, I just could not see how I could build two stores. I was learning a whole new ecosystem. But now I have learned it and I'm building a second store. And I may also run some webinars on that at some point for those people who want to build um, Shopify stores and do direct sales that way. Although, as I've said, I'm completely agnostic. Uh, you can do WooCommerce, you can do Payhip, you can do Gumroad, you can do TikTok, you can do whatever you like. I think everyone has to find their way of doing direct sales. There is no one answer anymore, which makes it complicated, but also very cool. <laughs> So I have also really enjoyed doing my webinars on AI for writing. I've done, as I, as I record this, I've done three. I've got another one this afternoon and the final one tomorrow. All of them have sold out. Um, the, oh, actually, there's three more tickets left for today, but the rest of them have all sold out. And the live sessions have been super fun. We've been writing different books together, nonfiction and fiction. There's been a lot of laughter. <laughs> People realise that I swear in real life, uh, which is quite funny because this is a clean show, but I do swear in real life. Um, and we it, it just is, it has been a lot of fun and I have rediscovered the joy of doing live events, which is cool. So thanks to everyone who attended and gave me feedback and a testimonial. Um, I thought I would mention... Lindsay Day says, I already adore Midjourney and ChatGPT, but I had no idea how many other AI options were out there or how to use them. Joanna's webinar was like a refreshing chat with a savvy friend where I spent the whole time saying, wow, really? I didn't know that. 
Thanks, Lindsay. So I am planning to schedule some more of these because I've had so many emails saying, oh, I missed your announcement. Uh, so I will probably do those um in August or September, depending on how things go with some of these other things. But if you want to hear uh, some more discussion, so me and Orna Ross talk about this on the latest episode of the Self-Publishing Advice Podcast. We talk about generative AI for writers, some of the updates on copyright, some of the things that are available. And Orna gives her take as the founder of the Alliance of Independent Authors, as well as a historical fiction author and poet. She represents a community that is generally a lot more conservative than me. (laughs) And I also ask her to comment on whether this is all hype and whether authors really need to pay attention or whether they can just let it all wash over them. So you can listen to her answer and our conversation on your podcast app. Just go to self-publishing advice podcast. So thanks for your emails and tweets and comments this week. Heart Driven Tarot with Laura said, this was an engaging and informative interview with Stephanie Chandler about the Nonfiction Writers Association. I loved it and have saved it for future reference. I didn't know that Stephanie founded that association, which I've been contemplating joining for a few months. You pack so much valuable information into your podcasts. Love them. Thank you, Laura. Thanks also to Edward Deganji, who sent me pictures from Calvary Cemetery in Queens County, just outside New York City. I always love some tombstones. So thank you, Edward. And yes, you can always send me pictures from cemeteries. I love them. Uh, also, on, uh, and also Gothic churches, cathedrals, any kind of Gothic architecture is my favourite. I actually do have an idea for a gothic architecture series and I talked about it with someone and they were like, seriously, do you think anyone's going to be interested? And I'm like, do you know what? I don't I don't think I care because I love them. <laughs> I think a crime series set in gothic cathedrals is, is a great idea. <laughs> That's just that's just me, though. Uh, also, thanks to Dan Kenner, who said, enjoying the latest episode of the show while trying to keep the baby goats from eating my headphones. Very cute pictures of the baby goats. Pornima Manko. Hi, Pornima, uh, is uh, listening to the latest podcast in Dubrovnik in Croatia. Beautiful city. Um, just fantastic place. Enjoyed my trip there, too. And Tiffany Dickinson says, I just listened to the 700th podcast episode. I began listening in the 400s and can hardly believe how time has flown by. Congratulations on staying strong. (laughs) Yes, well, as I said, at 600, I was... um, I was bored. I was definitely considering giving up the show again, but I just blew past 700 because there's so much going on. So I I can't see me ending uh, anytime soon. I did say there will be some changes, but that doesn't mean this is going away. Changes will be explained at a later point. So remember, you can tweet me at the creative pen with a double N, send me pictures of where you're listening or email me joanna at thecreativepen.com or leave a comment on the blog or the YouTube channel. I love to hear from you. It makes this more of a conversation. So this episode is sponsored by Written Word Media, because however you write your books, you're going to have to reach readers somehow. And Written Word Media knows that marketing your book can be one of the most challenging parts of being an author. That's why they make marketing easy by providing quick and effective ways to promote your books. Written Word is best known for their email promotion sites, Free Booksy, Bargain Booksy and Red Feather Romance. They have five promotion sites in total that send daily newsletters to a combined audience of over one million readers. They even have a site to promote your audiobooks called Audio Thicket. 
When you purchase a promotion with Written Word Media, your book is sent to thousands of readers who love and read your books in your specific genre. As the email hits inboxes, you will see a flurry of sales or downloads of your title. They have announced new categories recently, as well as new partners to expand your audience, as well as non-fiction, as well as lots and lots of fiction. Email promotions are priced based on how many readers are in the genre and range from $25 to $500. You can also add on Reader Reach Facebook ads and they have just announced promo stacking options. So if you did want to try and hit a list, promo stacking is the way forward. And that basically means you book different promotions on different days and get hit multiple people. So with the promo stacking options, you can schedule the fussy librarian, Hello Books, eReader IQ, as well as free booksy bargain booksy and facebook ads for different genres written word media also launched the premium membership of which i am now a member which gives authors 10 percent off book promotions and special access to products and services um, this basically gives you priority access to booking and that's partly why i joined but also you get percentage off so it makes it more cost effective for multiple promotions in the year it also keeps me reminded to do more promotions and i definitely think that using these uh, email list promotions are a really important part of continuing to get particularly free books in my series going to bring more people in visit writtenwordmedia.com forward slash membership to take advantage of the discount or send them an email at info at writtenwordmedia.com to ask for recommendations on which promotion might help you meet your marketing goals So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time is sponsored by my patrons, especially the in-between episodes on AI and other futurist topics. I'm particularly grateful to patrons who've supported the show for years and months. You help me continue with the show with both emotional and financial support. Thanks to new patron this week, Michael Francis Brandmeyer. And if you support the show on Patreon, you also get my extra monthly Q&A for patrons only. And I answer questions on writing craft, publishing, book marketing, making a living with your writing and of course, AI and futurist topics. Patrons also get first access to things like the ticket sales for my uh, webinars. So get um, early notice of that kind of thing. You can support the show with just a few dollars or euros or pounds or whatever your currency. And uh, you'll get that extra monthly Q&A audio and the backlist. So you'll get a ton more audio. You can support the show at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview or discussion, it really is, with Nick. Nick Thacker is the USA Today bestselling author of over 40 books, including thrillers, action adventure and non-fiction. He also helps indie authors through his courses, coaching and also by working with draft digital So welcome back to the show, Nick. Thank you for having me again. It's a pleasure. Yes, indeed. Now, you were on the show three years ago talking about writing action adventure. But tell us a bit more about what you're up to now and give us an update on your author business because you do lots of things. Thank you. I do. Yeah, I I still write action adventure. I'm still definitely pushing books out as fast as I'm humanly possible. Got to feed the beast. But over the years, including three years ago and before when I first got started writing, I think you know this. I I was a marketing guy and I came out of a marketing background. And so I never had a very organized or formal way of putting my nonfiction, let's call it knowledge together until about maybe six months ago. And so I've started putting all that together 
on a website called Book Career in a Year, which is just me teaching, coaching, training, whatever. And so I have courses and books and things like that that are all nonfiction related. Teaching authors how to be authors, teaching authors how to write, publish, marketing, market their books, that sort of thing. So Book Career in a Year is where all that lives. But as you said, I do still work for draft digital I believe I had just started then, maybe three years ago when last we talked. Um, loving it. It's a great company full of great people. And uh, I knew this before I joined, but working there for the past, I guess it's four years now, has really showed me that they really are authors first, authors forward. If authors don't win, we don't win. And so I, I love that mentality that they have there. Hopefully I'll be there for a long time because of that. And that's great. And I think inevitably those of us who write fiction start writing nonfiction and try and help other people at some point. It just just seems to happen that way. But let's get into the AI disruption topic of today, because it's funny, you said then you put out books as fast as humanly possible. But we are talking today about collaborating with AI. But, but first up, at the beginning of the article that I would have talked about in the introduction, I said, humans are innately creative. And in this new AI powered world, we can create even more than we ever dreamed possible. And I wanted to talk to you because you're also enthusiastic. So why are you so enthusiastic about AI for authors and the creative process? I think there's two main answers for why I'm so enthusiastic. One, I believe I'm an optimist. I really do think generally the best for humanity. I think we we strive and obviously we make mistakes and we falter, but I think we're on a trajectory that taking us to better places. Okay. Two, I figure if we're going to have robot overlords take us over like Skynet, we might as well just embrace it now and be good to them and nice to them and hope that we get killed last. Uh, that's a little bit tongue in cheek of an answer, but truthfully, I think it's the first one. I think the optimism I have carries over into this realm of AI as well, because I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface of what's possible. And that excites me. Yeah. And just to give people listening some other things there. So Mark Andreessen just recently posted an article, really long article, How AI Will Save the World. So I'll link that in the show notes. Also, Mo Gordat's book, Scary Smart, which really talks about we're raising the AIs on our writing. Although you and I blow things up, kill people. (laughs) But, you know, we are trying to sort of be nice to the AIs. Right, right, exactly. And I think it goes, yeah, it goes back into that. I think part of the way to be optimistic about this is to realize that we're not really seeing what Ray Kurzweil calls artificial general intelligence. I mean, we're not there yet. And while I believe this could be a route toward that, I'm not worried about that. And we don't have to get into the details of why or why not. But what we're seeing, of course, and this is probably what we'll talk about today, is these are large language models. These are generative AIs. They're not really artificial intelligences. They're just trained on a corpus, on a body of work, and they spit out the next most likely outcome when we give it a prompt. So I'm not terribly worried that it's going to turn into this sentient being that all of a sudden starts bossing us around yet. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And there's lots of them. I think this is another thing. Today, I've been playing with ChatGPT4 and also with Claude from Anthropic. And these are two models built differently, that behave differently with the same prompts. And so this is what's so interesting. But let's just put a couple of my predictions together. So number seven on my list was AI augmented creativity will develop. And one, nonfiction books, blog posts and news articles will be written with, I've said by AI, but I would now change that to say with AI. So clearly this is happening. But what are your thoughts on AI assisted creativity and how are you using the tools? 
I fully agree with your predictions. I think we are there in, in some small way, specifically with the nonfiction, right? I, I don't know why, but it seems like it's easier to use AI for nonfiction, or at least it seems more believable when we use it for nonfiction. And when I say nonfiction, I don't really mean the narrative nonfiction. You know, this isn't going to write a Malcolm Gladwell diatribe, right? It's going to write, like you said, blog posts, news articles, these things that are factual based, we can feed it a few facts and it can spit out a news article. And this, I think, becomes eventually the new kind of BuzzFeed where it's, sorry, BuzzFeed, the lowest common denominator of writing quality just to get information out into the internet. I think that that's an easy box to check. I think we're there already. Yeah, I want to come back on that because BuzzFeed did win the Pulitzer Prize for international reporting back in 2021. (laughs) But I know why you use that example, because those of us, you know, that's what we think when we think about BuzzFeed. And I also think this brings up what people think about AI content, which is that it is just kind of regurgitated stuff, let's say crap. But a lot of it isn't. And I guess that's what we're thinking about as AI-assisted creatives. So how are you using these tools as a writer and a marketer and without outputting a load of crap, basically? Sure. The way that I use these tools is adjacent to writing is the way I think of it. So I will use uh, ChatGPT is is my favorite right now. I use GPT-4. And most of the time, and I use it to produce things like book cover blurbs or marketing promotional materials. So I can give it a prompt that says, I wrote this book. Here's the blurb that you just wrote. And I would like you to give me five tweets or a blog post about what this book is about. Right. And of course, I then go and read it and make sure it is accurate, make sure it's what I want to say, tweak it a little bit. But this saves me so much time because for me, I'm not in that headspace. I'm in fiction mode, right? And so I want to get in there and really quickly, you know, I've written this book and I want to upload it and publish it. And oh, shoot, I got to come up with a description and all that. And so I'm not in the right headspace. And so ChatGPT specifically for me helps do that kind of thing. But on the fiction side, I've also played around with tools like Story Engine from PseudoWrite to just help generate some creative ideas. I think the challenge is, or the problem we run into as authors is we kind of try these things thinking, well, once it gets better, it'll just be able to do all of this for me. It'll just be, we'll we'll say, write this book about, like you said, a bunch of people shooting at each other and then killing each other. And then it's going to say, okay, great. Here's 90,000 words on people killing each other. But that's not where we are right now. And I don't want to use these tools like that because that's that takes away what I like to do. That takes away what I want out of my writing career. But I will use it to generate ideas for, so I, for example, Joanna, in my current work in progress, I wanted to think of the book in terms of a series of set pieces. Like in Hollywood, when you make a movie, you have these big set pieces, these big action scenes. And I wanted to think in terms of set pieces, but I'm not very good at coming up with set pieces. My set pieces end up looking like Michael Bay, where it's just, okay, we'll get in a, another car. And <laughs> yeah, but we love Michael Bay. More of that. <laughs> I love Michael Bay. Don't get me wrong. But again, I think he probably might write for BuzzFeed. I think before they want a Pulitzer, I asked ChatGPT to come up with some possible set piece ideas. And it spit out five or six really good set piece ideas. There were 10 total. And some of them I just threw out. They weren't very good. They were like, you know, here's a car chase and the car blows up. But some of them were really good. I had never thought of, okay, I'm in Moscow. Let's go into the subway system, which I now need to research to make sure it exists. And then they can have a a chase scene in a subway car. Like, well, that's something I've never done before. That's really cool. I'm going to write that personally as Nick. I'm not going to ask ChatGPT to write that for me. 
right? But I want to use these tools to speed up the process of brainstorming, the process of planning, because I want to spend my time writing. Yeah, and great example there. I think asking these tools for lists of ideas and combining different things too. So I was doing this earlier and I said, I've got this character and this character and this character, and they are all of these different, they are an archaeologist and a builder and whatever. And they're in this situation. Give me 20 ideas for interpersonal conflict that could come up based on these backstories. And so what and this is an example of a complicated prompt. And it's so funny because on the one hand, we say, oh, it's just regurgitating what comes next. But actually, when you ask it for creative ideas that combine different things, or for example, I asked it for book marketing ideas related to non-linear and non-obvious industries and got ideas for things like what the fashion industry does for marketing and what all these different random industries that we don't know anything about really uh, and yes, what they yeah. do for marketing so what we what i guess what we're trying to encourage people to to do is yeah i mean let's just take away that whole thing about oh don't let it write your book for you like all the other things <laughs> is what it's really for right right i think that's what you and i've been saying when asked and when we talk about this stuff and i go to conferences and i can be talking about email marketing for an hour and i get a question about ai at the end <laughs> i think it's it's that popular and that important for us as creatives And so you're exactly right. I think if there's any bottom line, it's that don't ignore this tool because you think it's going to replace a job or you're worried about your helping our future robot overlords. Use the tool for the things that you are either spinning your wheels on or wasting time doing or that you just don't need to be doing because it's not the most creative outlet for your uh, your genius, right? Yeah. I mean, even you mentioned email marketing there. I did actually earlier ask for 20 different headlines to put in an email about a particular book. And so I gave it the synopsis of the book. And then I said, give me 20 different headlines that will make me make people want to open the email. I mean, again, we are so bad at this kind of thing (laughs) that asking for help is a good idea, right? Right. And I've had it draft those emails for me too. I said, great. I love number one, three, seven. Please write the, the subject line and the email first draft. And then, of mm. course, I, I go back, I read it, make sure it's accurate, make sure it says what I want it to say. But one of the tool like ChatGPT and and some of these other ones that have a what, quote unquote memory, they know based on that at, at least that chat thread what you've told it in the past. You can give it a style guide. You can give it a tone. You can say, okay, this is who I am. This is how I write. You've read all my stuff. Can you write this email in terms of how I might sound? And a lot of times yeah. it gets it pretty accurately. Now, to be fair, I'm no Cormac McCarthy, right? My style is pretty much just. And then the man got shot in the neck. It's not terribly uh, verbose, I guess. And oh, this is a tip as well. We, well, I don't advocate using prompts that include another author's name. So I will never say, write me this in the style of Cormac McCarthy or in the style of Nick Thacker. Yeah, I mean, the same, right? And with images, with everything, there's no need to even use anyone's name in any prompt. You, You need to think a lot more about the kind of output you want. But you also said it's a first draft that you then edit, you check it. We're not just generating and then publishing, right? Correct. Correct. Never. I've tried. I would love for it to be good enough to do that. But there's something, even if it were, Joe, I think there's something about, it's again, it comes back to that creative process. It may one day be good enough to write a whole Nick Thacker novel for me. And we can talk about whether that's good or bad, ultimately, ethically, whatever, but I don't care because I'm still going to write my books unless they tie me down and say, you can never write again. Right. 
I think that's what I'm getting at here is I'm going to go over that stuff. I'm going to read through that stuff, not because I don't trust it. I mean, that's definitely part of it at this point of the game, but I also want my voice to be in there. I also want it to be from me. And so I'm using this as an assistant almost. And I would say I use it as an assistant for things that are, I'm going to say, not important. And that word probably carries more meaning than it needs to. But an email to my list, I'm not saying that my list isn't important enough to hear from me, but I am saying that it's not important enough to spend two hours crafting the perfect email uh, because it's just going to get lost in the ether, right? I mean, I'm going to have 20% are going to open it in the first place, right? So it's just not something that it's not the most important task that I do during the day. So I'm going to use ChatGPT for something like that because it can spit out something that's very, very good certainly good enough with a little bit of tweaking and crafting. And then I've spent 15 minutes total and I can send it out to my list and move on to the things that they are paying me for, which is write more books. Yeah, actually there's a good book called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And he talks about the zone of genius and that you should really spend the majority of your time doing the thing, not necessarily that you're a genius in, but that you feel only you can do. And exactly, yeah, yeah, only you can do. And exactly what you said, writing in your voice, writing Nick Thacker novels is actually part of your zone of genius. Whereas, I mean, you are more markety. I mean, certainly for me, writing email headlines and all of that, writing sales copy, writing ads, this is definitely not my zone of genius. So that is definitely using different tools. So I feel like maybe that makes a difference. And this applies to generative AI for images too. So I've been doing images, but then I give them to my cover designer because it is not my zone of genius to create book covers. (laughs) Exactly. I do the same thing. I've got a book cover designer these days. I used to do my own covers, but again, when we talk about things that even if I like doing it, I'm not the fastest and I'm not the best at it. And when I found somebody who was and affordable, then I just said, you're going to do all my book covers from now on. And when we talked about the AI thing, we came to the same conclusion that, look, I can sit over here, me, Nick can sit over here, use something like mid journey and say, this is kind of what I want you to do. And that I don't have to spend any of my time designing something that's going to look horrendous, <laughs> you mm. know, and then give it over to, to to my cover designer. And he can immediately see, oh, I see what you're trying to do here. Let me go take this and run with it. Yes. And it's so funny because my cover designer used to, I used to say, okay, I've got this book coming. This is the title. This is the genre. Here's like four different things that are in it that might work for some ideas. Then she would send me like a whole folder of stock photos. And I would go through the stock photos and say, yes, that vibe, no to that. Yes, yes, yes. So I would spend time doing all that. And now what we do is like you said, I go on mid journey. I generate a whole load of images myself and I send them to her and I say, this is the, the whole vibe. And then she puts them all together together into a cover. So this is what's so fascinating. It's changing our processes, but we're still trying to stay in the zone of genius. I mean, you and me, because we're action adventure, my arcane series and your books, they're they're quite similar. We like the high concept explosion action adventure stuff, and it is very visual. So it's fun for us to do the visual stuff, isn't it? It is. And I like to say that we, over time, we're in a groove, we're writing and we're producing it's very difficult to realize that we've gotten into a rut. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that with, with exactly what you said is my set pieces all started to sound the same. All of my descriptions started to sound the same. All of my action scenes started to kind of blend together. It didn't matter. You could take one out of this book and put it in another book, change the character. And it was the same, same thing. And that's been a huge boon. AI has been a huge boon for that because again, I can use a visual tool like Midjourney. I can use a text tool like ChatGPT, and both are going to give me some ideas 
that I can then use in my own book. And again, I'm not going to lift it and put it, it doesn't work that way. You know, that probably would be great if I could just take it and say, good, here we go. But we're just so far from that. And I don't even know if I'd want to do that for reasons I said before. Yes. Well, that brings me to my number six of my list, which is six content will explode exponentially and AI discoverability and marketing tools will help navigate the tsunami. So it really feels like we are about to enter this prediction. You and I have both said we are not going to just generate and publish, but some people are, (laughs) and there are going to be a lot of these types of books. Now, I wanted to get your opinion. First of all, you work for Drafter Digital as one of the many things you do, and Drafter Digital publishes books. So how will Drafter Digital manage this explosion of content? Very carefully. I can't give details, but we are going through this daily. We have probably the best customer support team on the planet, and I mean that, and they are in the front wave of that tsunami, right? Or I guess they're on the shore as the tsunami's. I don't know where to go with the analogy, but you know what I mean? The tsunami's <laughs> the AI and they're standing on the shore looking at it, trying to protect all the rest of us from it. It's happening now. It's already happening. They're doing the best they can. And our policy at draft digital is always authors first, and we want to support authors. However, we also want to make sure that we're supporting authors, not AIs. Not because we're all anti-AI there. It's a tool. That's how we approach it. But we want to make sure that we're not getting bombarded by crap, as we said earlier, right? Mm. But it's just very challenging. It's very challenging because we don't have, and you know this, there is no tool that can predict something was written with AI. If there's too many false positives, up to 50%, I think, or more, some Mm. of these tools, and that gets into some people just not writing very well. But it's also... I can put my book that I wrote 10 years ago when AI didn't even really exist like this through one of these tools and it will spit out 30% of it was written by AI. So we can't trust these tools that quote unquote predict that something is written with AI. So as a company, we don't really have an automated way to find this stuff. We have to vet it all manually. And we've got some ways that we're doing it internally and we're trying to figure it out as we go, Mm. but it is challenging. It's very challenging. Yeah, well, I should say the Bible and Jane Austen and all these books that are are massively represented in the training data definitely come out as AI written. So if anyone would like to have that. Are you you trying to claim that God is not an AI? (laughs) Well, who knows? That might actually fit. (laughs) <laughs> we may be in in the simulation. But no, and of course, Dan Wood from Drafter Digital was on the show a few weeks ago, and we were talking about this then. And basically, his point was, look, if you use AI to make good books, and you're writing them in your voice, and you're using it as a tool, then we'll be happy with that. So if you're a real author doing real things with real tools, then that's all good. If it's just another spammer, scammer, upload, a load of crap, which there are those books around, then again, regardless of the tool, Drafter Digital doesn't want to publish bad books. And that's hard because we don't also want to limit an author who hasn't quite figured out their own voice and they're not using AI, but they just sound like, you know, so there's things like that that are just, it gets a little squishy, but we're doing our best. And the people that we've got on staff are the best at what they do, finding this stuff and looking for this stuff and trying to do exactly what you said, which is support authors without supporting the race to the bottom of quality. Yes. 
Yeah. And I often say double down on being human. If you are someone, including me, I have published so far as we talk just one short story that has generative AI text in it as part of it and a cover as well with a demon's eye, which was a few months ago now. But if that got blocked by Drafter Digital, I would email the team and say, look, this is me. And I mean, that you guys know me. <laughs> but if it was someone else who had never emailed you or didn't have a personal friendship, then I would do that. I would say, look, email the team, explain the situation, explain what you did, and just connect with the Drafter Digital team as humans. And that kind of proves that you're not just a spammer, scammer, uploader, right? Exactly. Do that with Draft to Digital. Do not try that with Amazon. No. <laughs> <laughs> we actually do have humans working for Draft to Digital, unlike, well. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. No, you're right. I mean, the draft digital team is much more approachable than the KDP help, for example. But I do think the same applies. We do just have to prove that we are, are humans and there will be more of this. I did want to come back on the AI discoverability because I have found something yes. very cool, which is I'm using Bing now to discover books. So for example, I tried to compare my search on Amazon with my search on Bing. And if people don't know, it's Microsoft's search engine, but it's powered by GPT-4. So I basically said, I'm writing a book, I'm researching stone carving, give me some non-fiction books around stone carving. And it gave me a whole load of books. And then I said, okay, I want fiction books that feature stone carving as part of their plot or their setting. And I compared these lists with Amazon and with Bing. And my goodness, the Bing one was so much better. It gave me really quality results, whereas the Amazon one was full of ads. <laughs> Right. And it was full of non-fiction books and it really couldn't do find me fiction novels with elements of stone carving. Yeah. It, Amazon is, has always been a search engine. And yet I have, I've said this from day one. I think you and I talked about it three years ago, that discoverability was the biggest sore spot I have with Amazon or the biggest lack of development that's going on there. Mm. I love that Bing has an option. I, I mean, I, detest being, but I might actually have to use it because I trust your opinion. Yeah. It's well worth getting on. So for people like I, I'm a Mac person and I downloaded the Microsoft Edge browser. And well, now I have you're less, of, you're less of a Mac person now because you did that. I hope I you know. know. <laughs> I know, but I love Bing. And Bing, uh, actually, Bing answers the other question, which people say, oh, well, there's no point using these things because it's not connected with the internet. But now you can do chat GPT-4 browsing with Bing within the app. And you can also go on Bing, which is powered by GPT-4. So if you want actual citations for the things you're talking about, then just go on Bing chat and try it there. Also, Bing chat is free, whereas GPT-4 through yes, OpenAI, you have to pay for. Right? Or something a month. Yeah. In order to not get throttled and that kind of thing. Yeah. With the discoverability, I've always thought we have this device called a Kindle. We read at night and I'm talking about myself here and I'm like, okay, sit there and because of data and my Kindle being connected to the internet at all times, Amazon knows exactly how much I read every night before mm -hmm. I close that and go to sleep. Amazon has that data. They know what time, they know what time zone, they know what type of thing I like to read, and they know how long I read. So I this was something I a prediction I made probably five or more years ago, but I said I I hope one day we'll have a discoverability engine that will that is suggestive. Like I open my Kindle at night before I read. And it says, Hey, I know you, you like to read for about an hour and a half before you fall asleep. Here's a story that fits in that time frame. You'll be able to finish it by then. And it's in the genre you already like. Mm. Well, actually 
as we record this on The Verge, on the 15th of May, 2023, there was an article saying Amazon is building an AI-powered conversational experience for search. So they are looking to reimagine Amazon search with this kind of new thing. Very interesting, could definitely disrupt the way we've all been working, but equally, it's going to be what we need because I'm now using Bing. (laughs) Exactly. I think it it might be too little too late, but I'm not surprised at all. That sounds exactly like what a company that is data backed, like Amazon should be doing, honestly. I mean, if you're Mm -hmm. a shareholder, this is what you want them working on. But even as a consumer, I don't have a problem with ads. I don't have a problem with somebody telling me what to buy as long as it's something, because I I just recognize that that's a reality, that we just live in a reality where we're going to get bombarded with ads. Fine. But I'd much rather have them be things that I want, hockey gear or, or new phone or something like that. That's interesting to me. And we're certainly at a point at a juncture where the data that the world has on Nick Thacker is enough to suggest things for me to buy that I'll actually like. And so I'm sort of eagerly awaiting that moment. And that goes to what we're talking about with Amazon. I, I would love to get on Amazon and actually have the recommendations be things that I want. <laughs> Not just, would you like to reorder this that you ordered these sponges three months ago? Like you can reorder that. And then also here's eight new books in the genre that or from authors you've never heard of and a bunch of ads. Yeah, and I, right now. I I think the difference is really this chat mechanism. So with the Bing experience for, for finding books to read, it's going backwards and forwards. It's like, no, actually, that's not quite right. How about, so I did it with Action Adventure and then said, you've given me a list of only male authors. <laughs> it was a classic Clive Custler and all this, Wilbur sure, Smith yeah. and everything. And I was like, okay, I need female authors with female protagonists mm-hmm. written mm-hmm. in the last decade and with archaeological elements obviously I was trying to fish to see if it would bring up mine yeah you (laughs) (laughs) and that way and it did and also I found some other authors to read I'd never uh, I'd never known about so I I kind of have this hope that this will disrupt the um and I know a lot of people do write to market I don't but also I don't want to read to market I don't want to just get a whole load of books that have been written to the same things and I'm kind of hoping that this type of generative search will help readers find different kinds of books and I'm not sure how that's going to disrupt things but as a reader I'm pretty excited sure yes I think there's definitely some downsides to any new technology but I think I'm with you. One of the big upsides here is discoverability seems to always have been largely missing for us as indie authors, especially. And this hopefully will help. Yes, absolutely. So we've kind of talked there about how Drafter Digital is going to deal with it, but you're also Nick Thacker author. How worried are you about the tsunami of content? Are you thinking of changing the way you're marketing or how are you thinking about this? Because many people are just worried their books are going to be drowned out. Sure. I think that is a big concern. I'm not worried about it. Look, I think the key here is if you're starting this now, you're starting this journey now, you hear me with say all this stuff and, and you might think doom and gloom. It's not. I think the key is the same key that was true for all of time. And that is engaging with your reader. Um, and, and that's not tongue in cheek. That is literally the strategy that I still use. That is all you have to worry about ultimately is engaging with your reader Finding readers is going to look different and how you might talk to them is going to look different. But if you have nothing else to go off of, start emailing people who read your books and start building relationships with these people because they're humans, just like you. And there is a connection point that you can make through email, social media, whatever it is that you decide to to choose, whatever works for you. 
And by strengthening that relationship, you are going to be successful as an author. Of course, you still have to write books, you still have to publish and do all those things. And all the marketing tactics will change and all the tools will change. But what won't change is writers are writing books that readers want to read. And if you are one of those writers, there will be readers for you. It just all starts and ends with engagement. Yeah. And also, I, I'm going to call it, I think right to market is done as a business model. Not right now, but in the next couple of years, because if you do right to market, generating a book to market will be easy. But something that's your own voice, that is your own unique idea, that is based on just your your creative, unique brain that comes up with stuff. I actually think that this will mean a renaissance in far more original work because we will have to stand out in different ways. And then you will find, like you said, you start your email list and yeah, it's going to take some time. But I think I trust in the discoverability tools a bit like we were talking about. There will be, um, I mean, I've always said if, and again, we're using Amazon because they're the biggest data-driven kind of company, but Amazon has had our books, has had the text of our books since, as soon as we publish, they have the text. So why the hell do we have to put in seven keywords why do we have to do these ridiculous things when with the with sentiment analysis and with all of this they could deliver books based on much more granular and interesting things than just keywords so right. i i kind of see this as a disruption and therefore my call to people is yes connect with people but also write the books really of your heart and the things that are driving you to do this and yeah i think that will make people stand out i think it will i don't know and here's my prediction. I don't think it'll be Amazon that comes out with this discoverability tool. I think you're exactly right because the content is going to explode exponentially. Really, the only way forward is for discoverability to also explode exponentially, mm. Mm. Um, right? Because otherwise, then we all are, we have no idea how to wade through any of the tsunami of crap we've been talking about. But I do believe that we will find discoverability tools. And I don't think Amazon is the one that's going to push that forward, at least with books. It doesn't seem to me like they're interested in innovating anymore in the book side, right? We've seen Kindle Unlimited payouts changing, sometimes going down over time when we predicted they might go up, things like that. I, I don't know that it's going to end. I'm not saying, again, doom and gloom, but I would love personally, and this isn't just me as a drafted digital guy, I would love though another store to build something that actually works as far as discoverability goes, Oh, something well, that oh. we can use, yeah. Well, I'll give you another one. That is the Shopify plugin for ChatGPT. So I also did these experiments with the Shopify plugin. And for example, I asked it for books on how to write a novel and then used it, used the generative search on the Shopify app within ChatGPT. Oh, and cool. woohoo, it came up with my books and you can click on them and it goes to Shopify. So this oh, is another cool. reason. Yeah, it's amazing. So it's one of the another reason I went with Shopify because of the sort of future facing stuff they're doing. But yeah, I think I think there's going to be some very cool new ways of doing stuff. And hey, look, it's about blooming time because I feel like our business model has been stagnant really for a while. So I know disruption is hard, but I think there's going to be a lot more cool stuff ahead rather than being worried about it. And that's really what I want people to hear because I, I said, I'm an optimist. Yes, I can acknowledge and recognize that there's downsides to any new technology, but that's I'm not focusing on those things. I'm focusing on the future and what is possible for my career, for your career, for anyone who's getting started in this. I love authors. We need more books. And this mm -hmm. is a tool. I say this, meaning AI and whatever comes in the future will be a tool for us to be able to do that. And I'm hoping, again, we've been talking about the discoverability side. I think that needs to come with it. 
And I think what you said with Bing, Shopify, some of these tools that are already out there experimenting with this, we're getting closer to that every day. Indeed. So let's talk about three on my list. I said voice synth technology will replace human narrators for mass market audiobook narration. And I did expand this and basically say for that's for mass market audiobook, yes. but that there would be more of a stratification of audiobook rights. So you might have a human narrated edition and then an AI narrated edition, which is what I've done for my own books. Now you are doing some interesting things with AI audio. So tell us about that. I'm doing the same thing you're doing. I saw this technology become a way for me to get books produced that never would have been produced in audio format. That was it. I, I, I'm not anti-human narration. I'm not saying I don't like human narrators and they should all be out of jobs, but I would never have produced some of my books because they just weren't cost-effective. And AI technology gave me the ability to do that and to offer that to my readers for a much lower price than what I would have to charge for a human narrated version. So just like you, I said, well, I'm going to have two different price points. I don't think one necessarily will cannibalize the sales of the other, meaning somebody can pay for the bespoke premium human narrated version for $15, $20, $25, or they can buy the AI narrated version for $7 or $5 or a dollar or whatever it is. And I, I have found that both sell just fine. Well, that's interesting. Tell us what tools are you using for that? Because there are a number of different options. And also, how are you selling them? Yes. Yeah, so I was working with a company called Eleven Labs. And I say was, I'm still working. I still use them. But I was early on in their development. I was, I wouldn't say consulting, but chatting with the owner and the developer, main developer of that company, trying to build a tool where I could upload an entire manuscript and have it spit out a book narrated in AI format. And they're not quite there yet, but their tool is still very, very good. One of the things that they were heavily in developing was the ability to vocal clone, similar to like, I think you taught me about Descript mm. having their vocal clone feature. Um, Eleven Labs has one as well. It's it's better though. It's very, very good. And so I tested it with my own voice. They gave me like a vocal clone, premium version of whatever that that would be called with them. And I've been producing a lot of my books read by Nick Thacker, but it's my AI audio voice. And that's, it's been really cool because it's certainly good enough. It sounds, it's, it, I mean, it is me. It's based on tiny little pieces of audio files. It's literally my voice. I just didn't sit down in front of a microphone for eight hours to produce it. That is really interesting. Give us a title of one that we, that people could go find and where they can find it. And if there's a sample so they can have a listen. Yeah. So if you go over to where I publish all my books on Conundrum Publishing, conundrumpub.com is the website. It goes, go find my book, The Contestant. And there's a sample right there on the page. You'll be able to hear what this sounds like. You can compare it to how I sound right now, because it's, again, it's my voice reading it. I'm sure we can drop that in the show notes if you want, but that's my voice. It's, but I didn't sit down and read it for eight hours. And I think that's really powerful because Again, and I'm going to get into the whole don't be exclusive, especially with something like ACX or Audible, because now I can also produce a version of that read by a real human narrator, somebody I like, and that can do voices and can really act. You know, that's what's mm -hmm. missing from something like this. And they can go do that. So I can sell both of those as long as I'm not exclusive to Audible. Just to explain that to people, and it also is the same if you've signed a contract with a publisher, that it's story rights. You're often signing story rights, whereas what we want to do is if you sign a contract, you might want to sign human narrator rights or a specific 
um, you know, just stratify the rights instead of all audio. So yeah, if you've signed an exclusive contract with ACX, you cannot produce an AI version, even though it might be a different voice, it will be a different voice, because you've signed away the whole project, essentially. So this is such a good point. And I love this stuff. And I'm going to go listen to a bit of that, because I'm very interested. And now I have said to people, I've been excited about a voice clone too. But then I have also said, and this is me, this is real you, real you and me, that this is not voice cloned and at the moment I'm kind of like I don't want to do a voice clone because I have said this is my doubling down on being human which is if you hear my voice it is actually human me even though originally I said I wanted a voice clone so I'm actually quite conflicted about this because of kind of protecting that but you you're clearly over that Well, you know, it was never an issue for me, but I can completely respect that it is. And that's what I, I think the challenge is we want everything to be so black and white, you know, black or white. We So it's either this or this. Hmm. It's unfortunately or fortunately, it's both, right? I understand that there are ethical concerns with the way a lot of these bodies of work get their body of work, right? That's something that we're dealing with. That's something that in the United States, Congress is, is looking at. So there's certainly ethical and moral concerns here, but- for me personally, and I, I do I do think this is a personal choice, I don't have a problem with having a vocal clone of my voice. That is not the same as Nick Thacker saying everybody should go have a vocal clone of their voice. It's mm. a totally different thing. Unless so your I, clone I says absolutely, it. <laughs> yeah, I can absolutely respect that you don't want one or that you're still dealing with the pros and cons. Go for it. Absolutely. Have that, you know, have those concerns. For me, no, it was never an issue. I, I don't have a problem with it. That's interesting. And I know Eleven Labs have updated their kind of terms and conditions where you that you have to warrant that you own the voice that you want cloned, because of course, all of these technologies can be used in bad ways. But I have heard a lot of people say existing law protects us from bad actors, as in people will do bad things, but existing law actually covers it. So one of the other things I said, my number two in my list was copyright law will be challenged as books are used to train AIs, which then produce work in the voice of established authors and the same with images. And of course, that is actually happening right now. There are lots of court cases on it. But yeah, how are you thinking about this? Because obviously we're both using these tools. How do you feel about the whole copyright law? This is not a legal discussion. And this is just our opinion, obviously. <laughs> yes. Thank you for saying that. I am not a lawyer. I'm not even adjacent to lawyers in any way. I'm not a lawyer, but here's the deal. I was a musician. I still am, but I went to school to be a musician, trained as a musician. I was very, I was neck deep in all this copyright discussion as it came to things like sampling, taking a song from someone else that has been recorded already and using a small bit of it in music. And in the United States, at least, that was about all I could keep up with. There was constantly a debate about whether you could use this amount of somebody's music or this amount or this or that. My takeaway from all of that was and still is copyright law will always be challenged. That's why we have copyright law. The goal is to protect the integrity of the intellectual property and the copyright that that copyright holder has. And that's a good thing. I believe that it should be challenged. But that doesn't mean that all AI needs to be banned or all AI needs to be allowed. I think it's a gray area. And that's the really challenging part is until we have some, not just laws and legal structure, but some court precedent, some case precedent about how we're handling individual situations, we, you and I, who aren't lawyers and who are just using these tools, can't really make, uh, I don't want to say an educated, we can make educated guesses, but we can't really make a good prediction as to where this will all land. 10 years from now or 15 or 20 years from now. 
Mm, but I mean, the copyright, the US Copyright Office essentially says it's how much of your project has your authorship. So, for example, I am saving pictures of my prompts. I'm saving my edits. I'm saving my drafts. I'm saving my versions. I've got uh, evidence that this is my authorship. That's sure. how. And also, yeah. I do for AI voice stuff, I have banners that say this is AI narrated. I have author's notes. So I feel like there's a lot you can do to show that you're trying to be on the right side of the law. Plus, as we said earlier, do not use anyone else's name or IP in your yes. prompt. <laughs> be, be Have some integrity, right? Of course, mm. that's baseline. But I, mean, I would ask you, how will you prove that? Because you have the screenshots, those can be faked. You have samples of prompts that you use, those can probably be faked as well. And I'm not well, saying that you're doing any of that. I have of actual, actual photos of my actual handwriting because all, are, all my edits I do by hand. <laughs> well, still, how, how is, I, again, that's why I said case precedent. We can have laws that say you have to have a statement if you're using more than 50% of AI tool to create it. But how do we define 50%? Is it you, you you prompted an AI tool and then edited the feedback? Well, how much of it did you edit? Or did you just use it copy-paste? And how do we prove that? Because again, we don't have a good tool to detect AI use in fiction. And I don't think we ever will. So there's all these questions that I think will be very challenging to answer. I th- I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong. I, I love that you do that. And we've had this conversation before, you and I, about how much of this to be open about and not... and there's all kinds of things going into this and it's a very, very squishy gray area, but that's why I say, I I just, I, I don't think we can make it a, a decision on whether or not to use it a hundred percent or zero percent at all until we've got not only case law and legislation, but also the court case precedent. People have been tried and accused basically mm. in more than one, because it's going to make a difference. Yes. And I, th- I think at the end of the day, we're saying use AI tools responsibly and ethically and yeah, exactly. and be part yeah. of Don't be a jerk. If you wake <laughs> up in the morning and go, I'm going to go be a jerk today and I'm going to use AI to do it. You, you're going to, you know, go to jail. You deserve it. <laughs> Nobody listening is going to do these things anyway. Uh, we all want to do the right thing, but also being part of the change. If people like us and the community are part of the change, we can actually shape things around what is ethically correct and good for yes. um, good for the community, I, I guess. So we're almost out of time, but any sort of final thoughts and encouragement for people in this time of change, because there is a lot of fear. I want to encourage you actually, and hopefully this will encourage people listening. But what, last time you and I talked, we were at a conference here in Colorado Springs, actually, and you are at the forefront of this and you are someone we should all look up to because you're doing these things in an ethical way as much as you can, as much as possible. That's visible. We see that. And that is that is the way forward, right? So anyone listening, follow, obviously you are because you're listening to this podcast, but people like you are going to be, just as you said, the ones at the forefront of how do we approach this stuff ethically, legally even. And you are setting a good example as a role model in this community of authors. So I appreciate you for that. I think more of that is what we need from every indie author on the planet who has a platform. Mm, well, thank you for that. And I, I do think people are afraid potentially of putting their head above the parapet because <laughs> then you get shot oh, at. Of course. <laughs> of course. It's it's nest it's messy being on the top for sure. It is, but no, I appreciate you and obviously Dan Wood was on the show from Draft to Digital and everyone who is talking about this. As I said, I think if we can be part of shaping the future, this is this is gonna help a lot because we care about creative quality, we care about authors and creatives making a living. So as you said, we just care about authors first. That's the way forward. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And when it comes time for legislation in whatever country to look at what's happening, they're going to look to what's actually happened. And so if we're not talking about this, if we're not showing how we do this, they're not going to have anything to go off of. But mm. I believe they will. They're going to see you. They're going to see me. They're going to see Draft Digital, all the people that are doing something and talking about it in the industry. And hopefully they'll listen to us. But that's all we can hope for. Indeed. Right. So where can people find you and your courses and your books and everything you do online? Thank you. I am at nickthacker.com. And that is a in a constant state of disarray. But I've, I think I've got the homepage nailed down that shows that has links to all the other stuff that I do. So if you're interested in my fiction, it's all there from a, one link away. And if you're interested in the nonfiction, the book career in a year stuff, that's all there too. I would recommend starting there. And of course, I'm on all the places. If you like Facebook, I'm there as well. You can find me on any of those. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Nick. That was great. Thank you for having me again. Hopefully we'll do this again. So I hope you found the discussion with Nick interesting and that you can see how fast things are moving. I expected my predictions to be on that 10-year time frame, but in some areas we have already moved past where I thought we would be. I might have to do another set of predictions. <laughs> so next Monday, we're back to writing craft and also TV and film as John Gaspard gives us writing tips from the movies. So happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.